What is congruency of vision? And where's the Pac-12 when it comes to expansion, media rights, and the state of men's basketball in the conference? I'm John Canzano. Wilner and I kick it around next on an all-new episode of Canzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Canzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am John Wilner with my partner, John Canzano. We are recording. We're actually recording uh, Miracle of Miracles earlier than scheduled here on a Tuesday night because there was a development in the Canzano household, it sounds like, that was, uh, was worth noting. What happened up there that allowed you to record earlier than scheduled? All right. So I don't know what the bedtime ritual is like in your household with your kids, but I have three daughters, and the youngest two are six years old and eight years old, and they're absolute firecrackers. And normally that whole process is like this winding down. It's kind of like landing a 747, you know, where you think you're landing, and then you look out the window of the plane, you're still way up in the air, and then you think you're landing, and, and there's turbulence, and who knows. But uh, the kids, for whatever reason, they got right in bed, and they— they went lights out. Like even my wife was like, tell them that there's 10 more minutes and there's lights out. And I was like, they're already lights out. Now, full disclosure, they are listening to a podcast right now. As we are recording our podcast, the six-year-old and eight-year-old listen to this podcast called Wow in the World. And it's got a little bit of science, a little bit of, you know, interesting personality. It's made for kids. But, uh, and we even went to see a live recording of wow in the world in person so maybe wilner we take this podcast on the road one day and we visit pac 12 cities and we'll record live but uh they are winding down their podcasts are on i said to my wife i said they're down now wilner can we just can we record early and she goes go so we're doing this a little early by by the the miracle that the kids for whatever reason maybe they had a long day at school i don't know they're in bed their lights out they are listening to their podcast now. Now, Wilner, what is bedtime like with your kids in your household? Well, I've got a 15-year-old, and I don't know what she does. I, I don't know where she is. She, <laughs> she may be traveling the country for all I know. She's kind of on her own. Uh, <laughs> she goes to bed late. A lot of times she goes to bed later than I do. Uh, you know, she's got a teenage brain kind of thing going on. If it were up to her and there were no school, she'd be going to bed at midnight and sleep until noon. Uh, and my 11 year old, uh, you know, typically I read to him and then he reads on his own or he just conks out and he sometimes he listens to music. Uh, sometimes he's got a little bit of a white noise machine. Most of the time he's uh, asleep by, you know, quarter 10 or 10. What are you reading uh, to him what are, at bedtime? What are you reading? I read to him. He loves nonfiction. So I read this series called uh, Who Was or Where Was, What Was. And it's like, who was George Washington? Uh, what was the age of the dinosaurs? Uh, you know, where, where is, uh, the Inca trail, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, he loves those. So I, I read that to him and then he reads it when he reads on his own, he reads, uh, some, some kids series. Did you do that spies. as a kid? Did you read in bed? Like, you know, because when I was a kid, you know, I, I grew up in the Bay area. I was a diehard San Francisco's fan. I had the transistor radio underneath my pillow and I was listening to KNBR and, the Giants post-game show and, you know, listening to stories about Jack Clark and callers calling in from all over the Bay Area. I was that kid. What was your, what, did you read? Did you listen to radio? What did you do? 
No, a lot of it was radio for me, especially during baseball season. I grew up in the D.C. suburbs and was a big Orioles fan, so I would listen to a lot of Oriole games going to bed. But yeah, I was more more radio than than reading right right before bed for sure. And for those of you who are listening to this podcast as you fall asleep, we're we're glad that you're doing it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast when you wake up in the morning, or if you're doing this in broad daylight, <laughs> make a commitment right now and subscribe to us. Uh, I'm John Canzano. You can read me exclusively now at johnconzano.com. I'm here with John Wilner, Barry News Group, as always, uh, pack12hotline.com. Uh, Wilner, I just got back from Salt Lake City. I wrote about Cal basketball. I took a deep dive on the Bears as part of my series on Pac-12 basketball that I'm working on uh, on the website. But um, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a ter- terrific, yeah. terrific Thank story. You. And great, great background I- information. And you should, you should talk about you know, what you found in terms of the resources. Uh, but that was your second, right? You wrote about the Fox sports. Yeah, the FS1, the broadcasters not being at Pac-12 basketball games. It's it's ridiculous. Like, they should be there. They should be in-house. Now, full disclosure, the game I went to, Utah hosting Cal on a Sunday in Salt Lake City, ESPNU did not send a broadcast team there. Same problem going on with ESPN now that the Pac-12 had with Fox. But the Pac-12 got the FS1 thing fixed they're being told that Fox will send broadcasters in person for the remainder of the basketball season. Now, we'll see if that carries over for football. But this um, this piece really, I, I really started thinking about Cal basketball and some others in the conference that are struggling. You know, why are they struggling? But Cal in particular, because it's interesting to me that this is a program that had success under Ben Braun and had success under... Mike Montgomery and had success under Quanzo Martin. And so, so what has happened at Cal? What has changed at Cal so that, you know, Cal is so bad because this is a historically bad run under Mark Fox third consecutive season where they'll have 20 losses. That has never happened in 116 years of Cal basketball. Uh, They are headed to what will be their worst season ever. Previously, it was 1978, 1979, where they went six and 21. They're currently three and 20. He needs a four and four finish in the next eight to finish above the two 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 win percentage, the two twenty two. Uh, he's not going to get there because they have Arizona, Arizona State, USC, UCLA. Uh, it's going to get ugly. Uh, but you know, the question is, should they fire Mark Fox? Will it matter? And what else is going wrong at Cal? And one of the big things that I noted early was, as I began to look at the financials of the various basketball programs in the Pac twelve, is you know UCLA spent. Almost $12 million last year on men's basketball. Oregon spent $11 million. I started looking at travel budget, charter planes. UCLA, they charter every road game, conference, non-conference. If they go on the road, they charter. So does Arizona. So does Oregon. They, they all spent more than a million dollars on charter and travel. Uh, UCLA spent $1.5 million. Cal's men's basketball travel expenses for last year only totaled $652,000. Part of that is because they're using some commercial flights while others are using charters. And as I began to look at the expenses of the programs in the Pac-12, Wilner, it was almost right down the standings where you could see that about the top six teams in the conference are really spending, and the bottom six are not. And so, you know, money's not everything. Like, you can overachieve, you can recruit well, but Cal does not have a practice facility. Cal was not using chartered flights regularly on, on road games. 
And I think beyond that, they haven't recruited well. And those things, I think, are all interconnected. I think recruits want to be on charters. I think coaches need charters available to, to them to go recruiting so they can be back at practice. And the lack of a practice facility at Cal has put them at a tremendous disadvantage. I just, I think, you know, look, Mark Fox, could they do better? Yeah, they probably could. But I also think you have, might have a kind of a Sonny Dyke situation a little bit at Cal because there's just there's no support. There's no leadership. There's The resources aren't there. And I think it's a campus-wide thing. Well, I mean, certainly they, you know, Cal's got a lot of institutional issues, and as Stanford does as well, that uh, other schools don't have and also that are exacerbated by the – the landscape right now with the transfer portal and name image likeness, you know, those kind of things are, they're almost weeding out who really cares and who doesn't care uh, from a campus perspective. And the Bay area schools, both of them, you know, there's, there's a lot of pull on both, both campuses uh, towards the academics and, and, uh, and, almost a f- institutional fear of going all in athletically with what r- is required to compete at a high level these days with NIL and the transfer portal. So they're both have these hurdles that are not necessarily faced by their peers to the same degree. And then you add on very questionable coaching hires on both sides of the Bay, right? I know we're focused about Cal, but there's a lot of parallels, right? I mean, you know, Mark Fox, I thought was a, a questionable hire when they when they made it, and he's not. I think he's a good coach, but I don't know that he was going to get the type of players that Cal needed to get to be competitive. Yeah, and I think the recruiting classes show that. Like, they're not recruiting at a level that is competitive. They were their recruiting classes were ranked 89th, 70th, 91st. The the 2023 class is 57th. But how do you get better players when you're not chartering, you don't have a practice facility, you're 3-20? and 20. Um, The only thing you call if you're Mark Fox is, hey, come now because we're really bad and you'll get to play right away if you, you, know, if you have some talent. But there's a deeper issue here. Like, you know, the women's program is struggling as well. Football program is, you know, 4-8 and eight last season and 10-18 and 18 in the last three combined seasons. It's, there are problems here. You look at the ADs that they have hired, and you want to talk about leadership. The last four ADs that Cal has hired do not have backgrounds in men's basketball or football. Now, I'm not saying you have to have that, but those are your revenue-generating sports. And if the AD doesn't have an understanding of what it takes to win in those sports, you're at a tremendous disadvantage. You are. and you. But even if you do have an AD that understands, if you don't have a president or chancellor that is behind you, it is much tougher. I mean, I think I haven't actually done this, but you could probably go through the Pac-12 schools and basically create triangles at each campus, president, AD, and head coach, uh, football or basketball, right? For basketball would be UCLA and Arizona. For everybody else, football. And just try to figure out, are they all aligned, those three spots, and how how uh, committed is the president or chancellor uh, with the AD to to win in football or men's basketball, and you know, I th- I think that there's a lot of uh, you know, th- there's a lot of connections that can be made between some of the schools that are not measuring up to maybe what they should, and some of the schools that are say boxing above their weight level, and a lot of the difference there is the commitment uh, institutionally from the president or chancellor. Yeah, and what happens is you know 
you get a case like Cal men's basketball, the problem is you have no margin for error. If you are operating, you know, Cal spent seven and a half million dollars on men's basketball last year. It was, you know, how do you compete with schools that are spending 11, 12 and 13 million dollars at the top of the conference? You just don't. And you have no injuries and everything goes right. And you get a couple of surprises in recruiting. And so really you're talking about there's no margin for error for Cal. Other programs can afford to lose players to injury, and they'll still be okay. Like, you know, I took a look because the big excuse Cal is making this year is, hey, our guys are hurt. Hey, you know, we're missing a bunch of players. You know, I had an analytics data PhD take a look at the number of missed games from rotation players. And it's true. Like, Cal is second in the conference with rotation players missing games. They've missed, they had 28 games missed by players who are rotation players. That's 28th highest in the country. Uh, but, but Oregon has 34 lost games. Now, Oregon's 8-5 and five in Pac-12 play. So it just tells me that Oregon's got more depth. Oregon has had better recruiting class, more resources, superior administrative support, and they got a, probably a future Hall of Fame coach on the bench. And so you have a bigger margin. Yeah, is it a down year for Oregon? Yeah, they're not happy at 8-5. and five. But Cal's in the basement with similar you know, injury circumstances. And so you just have no margin. And you brought up a great point about that. I call it the congruency of vision. You know, one of the blessings Good I think I've, ha- I've had in, in covering picks and Super Bowls and World Series and Kentucky Derbies is you're around the winner's circle or the winning locker room all the time. And I noticed pretty early in my career, like ownership, team president, general manager, coach, players, equipment staff, you know, all the way down to the person who's turning off the lights. Everybody sort of understands the mission with winning teams. It's no different at college. If you don't have the president or chancellor and you don't have uh, your athletic director and your head coach and your players, your assistants all in line, you're fighting against yourself. Yeah, well, and we see that, right? That's in football too. I mean, the, the, you can point to schools underachieving and overachieving, Right. I mean, to me, uh, obvious one is UCLA. Right. I mean, UCLA haven't won a conference title in football since what, 1998. Um, Incredible, uh, given given the recruiting base that UCLA has. But UCLA has also got a chancellor that is checked out from athletics. I know football is inflated or stuffed. Doesn't care. Right. Uh, Whereas let's look at the other end of that. Washington State. And I, I think, you know, talk about it a program athletic program that boxes above its weight level, right? The Cougars, you take what their revenue, I want to say they're generally speaking, their athletic department revenue is somewhere around 75, 80 million. Don't hold me to that exact figure. Uh, but you know, that's what, uh, two thirds of a lot of their competitors. Uh, most schools are over a hundred million. Washington state's down there at 75, 80 million in revenue. They've been to Washington State's played in a bowl game. It's either eight of the last nine years or seven of the last eight years, right? All, excluding co- the COVID season. But only Utah is going to the postseason more frequently than Washington State in football. And yet look at where the Cougars, uh, the Cougars' budget is. Why? Because Kirk Schultz, their their president, is uh, understands the value of football. He understands football. He was at he's on the CFP board of managers. He was at uh, he was at Kansas State. He understands the value of football. He is completely in, involved. He is aligned with athletic director Pat Chun. They have dealt with uh, the departure of Mike Leach, the departure of Nick Rolovich, 
uh, and they're still going to the postseason. And to me, they are a great example of what alignment is that starts at the top. And they are a perfect contrast to UCLA. There's no way Washington State should be consistently better at football than than UCLA has been over the last eight, 10 years, given given the resources and given the recruiting bases. And yet they are. And you've got two two campus leaders at total opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of their commitment and involvement. Yeah, and it's a great point about, you know, how if you have that alignment, everything looks a little easier. You ever seen somebody in the pool that looks like they're really struggling to swim? You go, gosh, they're not a very good swimmer. I think about a couple of the schools in the conference when I see that. And then otherwise, you know, I go into the gym and I'll look over. Somebody's at the pool and I'll like that. That guy's a swimmer. Like you can tell Washington yeah. State is, you know, it's in the pool and it's gliding. Like, look, it, it doesn't have the best resources. It it the budget. It, you're right. It's like eighty four million dollars that they spent last fiscal year. Um, but they are moving and and they're getting everything they can of what, out of what they have. And that's where. I think about Cal, like Ben Braun, when he was the coach at Cal for a 12-year period, he beat Ben Howland in UCLA nine straight times. He Nine straight times. Like, how did that happen? And now you're looking at a 3-20 and program that can't beat anybody and is struggling against some bad, low-level programs that they played in the early part of the season in non-conference games. And so I do think what Cal needs to do is, like, I don't think Jim Knowlton is the right AD for Cal. He doesn't fit. Um, you know, he's got a great military record, came from Air Force. Uh, he put, you know, he's a hockey guy that was at West Point as an athlete himself. That's a very different place than Cal and a very different path. And I think what you need at Cal with both the athletic director job and the basketball coach is you need people in those seats. First of all, the AD has to be a football or basketball person who understands what it takes to win in those sports because that's where you make your money. Secondarily, and by the way, somebody who's going to go to bat against the rest of the campus when the campus says, hey, we have academic standards, we can't take transfers. Somebody that's going to do what Cal did in the 90s and get playmakers into school. Like, you know, those players are going to be in the transfer portal now, so you can't be allergic to, hey, we're going to have to relax some academic standards and we're going to have to take some transfers. That portal is vital to success, so that AD has to be on board there. And then secondarily, you've got to have uh, a basketball coach who can do some fundraising, who networks with boosters, and who can sort of navigate the challenges of not having a practice facility and, you know, really cultivate the boosters in the way that Braun did. You know, he was tight with the Haas family, and he was getting, uh, you know, them to allow him to use his their private plane and— he just got some things done there with the film room that really made differences for Cal in that era. And you have to do that. You have to be tireless and you have to be better at just the, at, than the X's and O's. Yeah. Don't you think Cal 2 is a little bit of a uh, mirror on the Pac-12, the state of Pac-12 basketball? Because it's not good. Uh, it's a maybe a three-bid league. I don't know if I were going to set the over-under. Arizona and UCLA are locks, right? I'd probably set the over-under at three, three and a half teams. Maybe maybe USC gets in, maybe Oregon gets in. But generally speaking, aside from those, the, that two- or three-week run in the NCAA tournament in the COVID season, so the the spring of 2021 when, when it, the conference came out of nowhere and had that incredible run, it has really been a pretty down cycle for Pac-12 basketball the last, what, 
three, four, five years. Uh, so Cat and Cal's a big part of that, right? So Stanford. Those are two programs that used to be really good a lot of the time. And Washington, um, too. I put Washington in that category. Washington I mean, also. I know they're Absolutely. trying to get back, but I think I look at Cal, I look at Stanford, I look at Washington. They should be competing at the, you know, at a better level than they are. They're all underachieving. Oregon State as well. And, you know, I don't expect Oregon State to get into the tournament every year, but came they came out of an Elite Eight in a couple seasons ago and laid an egg. And and now they're sitting at, you know, not that, their game in front of Cal. So it's it's disappointing to see that. I think that's a great point, the mirror that is out there. The team I really like right now, like UCLA and Arizona, I've seen them up close. I like them. I don't love them. I, I really like USC. I think USC could be super dangerous in the conference tournament. Keep an eye on the Trojans down the stretch. I think if they're healthy, they're big guys on the court, look out. I think beyond that, it would be nice for the conference if either Utah or Oregon or Arizona State, two three teams that I think are in the next group, if one of them could win the conference tournament, now, all of a sudden, you possibly are looking at yeah. four teams in. That's the only way they're getting four in. But I think they can get three with UCLA, Arizona, USC. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about the situation with Pac-12 basketball and how it's in a little bit of a downturn, right? Pac-12 football was in the same same place. And this past season seems to have been a recovery year. And certainly next season, outlook's pretty good. But, you know, to me the dynamics are very different, right? I think about Pac-12 football long haul and there is a clear, uh, a clear issue, right? And it's a, it's not really something the conference can control. It is the West coast, the Pacific time zone footprint. There are very few 300 pound defensive linemen that can run and can play at a high level, right? Those guys are all in the Midwest and the, you know, the Southern Plains and the Southeastern quadrant of the country. Pac-12 physically does not have the the talent pipeline that you need to to compete at the highest level, whether it's, you know, because people are moving out of the of the West or because of, you know, uh, concern in California over concussions and the lack of participation in California high schools is plummeting. You know, there's a lot of reasons, but physically Pac-12 football has got a pipeline problem, uh, especially on the defensive line. That's not the same. That's not the case with basketball. There's plenty of six six, you know, two ten guys uh, across the West that are that play basketball. Right? It's not a uh, a pipeline problem uh, in basketball the way it is in football. To me, the b- big part of the problem in basketball is bad coaching. I think there's bad coaches in the league and and uh, questionable commitments from the the institutions. Um, you know, and some of that is because of COVID for sure. Right. That, I mean, you know, that I think probably delayed some, uh, some changes that we're going to see, uh, on the coaching front. Uh, and it certainly put some budgets, uh, in a vice, uh, but there's been some bad hires in this league. There's no question about that. And when you also are struggling to get your football program right, it's hard to focus your resources and your time on getting basketball right. But now that football is right at a lot of places uh, or on the uptick, I I would expect that we're going to see some changes in, on the men's basketball side uh, from a bunch of schools. Yeah, and you know, I, I talked with Jamie Zaninovich, the deputy commissioner who is – also the supervisor of basketball in the conference. And he made that point. He said that, you know, 
the schools that are investing are having success. And he admitted that some of the schools that have begun to invest in football are a little slow getting to basketball. So I think the hope in the conference is with this new media rights deal, an infusion of money, uh, and certainly an emphasis or a priority put on investment, period. I mean, it's just evident that if you're not investing, you have a very, it's a tightrope that you're walking to try to win. In both sports, in right? In both sports, yeah. And so I think the net, you're right, the next wave is going to be, all right, we got football fixed. Now let's pivot into men's basketball because when UCLA leaves this conference, you want to replace them with an Arizona State or Oregon returning to the top of the conference with Dana Altman or somebody else, Washington having a resurgence uh, or Cal basketball getting a higher right because I do think that Mark Fox is uh, his seat is scalding hot at this point and and I you know look it may may be all of his fault it may be some of his fault but I don't think he's the right coach if you don't have resources he's just not that kind of person yeah I mean well we're seeing the investment uh, play out basketball but also football I mean look what USC. I don't know exactly how much they're paying Lincoln Riley, nine, ten million a year, but the benefits are there for everybody to see, and I think that that's having a trickle down effect. We just saw, you know, Washington is paying Ryan Grubb, offensive coordinator, two million bucks. He's the highest paid coordinator in the Pac-12, and my guess is he's going to be top five in the country in 2023 to keep him. Uh, obviously, a terrific play caller. Uh, Colorado's invest obvious investment with Deion Sanders. So we're seeing more and more schools kind of getting the message. And I, when I'm talking about that, I don't necessarily mean the athletic directors, right? It is, again, it gets back to the presidents and chancellors and the commitment they're willing to make. And I know the conference office is preaching invest, 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 uh, especially with football because the return is so high. So we'll, we'll see if that continues with football, but also how, how many of these schools learn their lesson on the basketball side? It's a great segue into media rights. Uh, that's where the money is. Expansion. Uh, we've you know talked a lot about this, but it feels to me, Wilner, like this prince is narrowing down or zeroing in on a deal with on the media rights front and beginning to think harder about expansion. What's your read? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that uh, at that. The meeting they had, uh, what was it, a week ago, Monday, the president's quarterly meeting in Phoenix or in Tempe uh, with the conference staff. I I got the sense that there was some real specific talk about expansion and, and SMU. And you and I have talked about SMU for, I don't know, four or five months. And we've talked about the need for them to add schools, SMU, San Diego State, whoever else, because of inventory, right? If you've got more schools, if you've got 12, you can play more games than if you got 10. Uh, I don't know that they'll go past 12, but certainly uh, inventory is going to be important to their media partners, and and they're not going to have that much with 10 schools. So it'll be real interesting. But I've kind of figured for a while that SMU was was on their radar, maybe even at the top of their list, uh, along with San Diego State. Yeah, I think I think, the you know, we all have talked about kind of the schools that are on that radar in San Diego State I think is going to get in and you know it's hard to argue with being back in Southern California and the number of TV households that they bring beyond that you start looking at SMU that gets you into Texas it gets you into Dallas Fort Worth yes the campus is a postage stamp in that market but you're in that market and it allows you to recruit there 
And now you can tell your recruits you'll play in Texas and you'll play in Southern California if you're any other Pac-12 school. And so now you can you can go into those areas. It makes me think a little bit about UNLV. I, I think, you know, the Pac-12 is probably going to want to look at it at least. Boise State and Fresno State after that, although, um, you know, only 517,000 households in Idaho limits you there. And then, you know, do you want to be in Central California? Do you have to be in Central California? If so, you look at Fresno State. But I I think right now it's an SMU-San Diego State equation. And then beyond that, I kind of wonder if, is there a partner or two that you could also grab in Texas or that part of the country that would make uh, the travel demands on SMU a little lighter. And yeah. I struggle with that because there's no, there's not a no-brainer there. But I think the Pac-12 has got to be asking itself that kind of question. Yeah, I mean, I think that if if they get did get to that point, and I don't expect it, you know, Tulane might be the pick. Tulane uh, gets you in the New Orleans market. And Tulane's a really good school. And they just beat USC in the Cotton Bowl, by the way. So... Uh, if it were to get kind of get to that point, I don't know if escalates the right word, but if for some reason they did try to add multiple schools in, in the central time zone, I would, I would wonder about, well, rice too, rice or, uh, rice or Tulane. Yeah. Because, I wonder I mean, though, what, what do you think about this though? Let me yeah. throw this out to you. And this is just something that has whipped through my head every once in a while. You add San Diego state in every sport. You add SMU in football, and you add Gonzaga in basketball. It would be interesting. The, the question becomes, because basketball media rights money is nowhere near football media rights money, will Gonzaga, does it bring enough to to move the needle? You know, Or is Gonzaga, as a basketball-only addition, uh, is it not? Is the num- do the numbers work? And I think that's the question. And I've I've thought about it from the beginning. I don't think Gonzaga to the Big Twelve or SEC makes any sense at all. Uh, Gonzaga has got a clear path to the NCAA tournament most years in the WCC. I think if they're gonna make a move, the Pac-12 is the place for them to go. It just makes sense. But the question then becomes: Is are Washington and Oregon gonna be okay? with Gonzaga coming into the conference. And I know there's been some issues, particularly with Oregon, trying to get games with Gonzaga. They feel like they're fighting over the same recruits in some respects in men's basketball, particularly, sometimes in women's basketball. Uh, Is there a a hiccup there? Is there a speed bump there? Does Oregon pump the brakes? Does Washington pump the brakes on adding Gonzaga in basketball? Because, you know, you're now saying, hey, this is a full-fledged Pac-12 member. Uh, and we're fighting over the same recruits. I don't know. I don't know. But I, it's interesting to me. It's something that I would explore. I, but my whole read on this, Wilner, from the beginning when Gonzaga's name came up, first when Mark Few came on my show and he talked about, hey, you know, you know, we, we're, we're talking about this stuff all the time, and then the Big 12 wanted to meet with him and then went down and met with him. I kind of felt like Gonzaga just wanted to be included in the expansion talk. Like, if I'm them— you're sitting in the WCC. You can get to the NCAA tournament every year. You've gotten to the Final Four. You don't need to make a move to do this. You don't. Institutionally, they fit best in the Big East, right? Non-football schools, you know, uh, religious affiliations. But it just doesn't – I don't know that it works geographically with with the Big East or or with the Big 12, right? So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see – 
how the money, if they can make the money work, uh, if they can get a, a deal, you know, a hypothetical deal with Gonzaga that they can then present uh, for the schools to consider. You know, I think Washington, Oregon would think about it if the if the money's right. Uh, but just from a competitive standpoint, I think they need Gonzaga because they need another team that's going to have marquee games, right? I mean, you're, you're losing UCLA. You want to have another school that's going to sell out on the road, that's going to be, you know, demand a ESPN primetime spot, a foil for Arizona because Arizona's losing their foil in UCLA. I just think that uh, competitively the Zags make a lot of sense. Number financially, uh, that's a that's a different matter. Depends kind of on what kind of deal they could strike. But yeah, it, it'll be real interesting to see. That, you know, they have a sweetheart deal, a TV deal in the WCC, but is the step up to the Pac-12 enough for Gonzaga to go, hey, this is a no-brainer for us? Because all of these expansion deals are about adding value to the media rights deal. And it's not about who's got geography and who's got the best logo and what your, you know, not so much about what your record is. It's about your media rights value. It's about your media market. And Gonzaga's got appeal, and ESPN loves Gonzaga. And so it's a poss- there's a possibility there that they could come in as a basketball-only men's and win- women's basketball entry into the Pac-12. I think it would be super interesting. It would. What You got uh, you changing at all or sticking with your, your prediction for when the Pac-12 is going to have a media deal? I'm going to be at the men's and women's tournaments. You're in Vegas. You'll be there, I'm sure. And I think George Kovkov's got to have something to talk about there. He can't go into another public forum like that and and go, hey, we're close. Like I think he's got to come in and, and say we have a deal or they got to strike a deal before then. I I think we're now about a month away from people starting to go. Do they know what they're doing? And so I think they know they have to have something to talk about. So I'm sticking with you know let's set Sunday March 12th. I think it is where the selection uh, Sunday selection yes. Sunday. I'd like to see them talking about their media deal, or at least a deal in principle. They don't have to finalize it, uh, you know, as that that Pac-12 tournament is unfolding. They better have something to talk about. Yeah, I, it could take, I agree, It'll t- it could take a while to finalize it, right? I think the Big 12 is just finalizing their grant of rights, you know, and they announced a media deal on, what, October 30th or something, and they're just finalizing it. So, but yeah, getting something uh, on paper, Something that they can uh, they can talk about uh, or not talk about the way the Big Twelve did, just kind of leak it uh, to every news organization in the country without making it official. They they gotta have to do something. I agree. I think that's the right timeline, middle of March. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast, uh, share it with friends, and look. If news breaks, we'll cut a special episode. We've got big plans in the next few weeks. I don't want you to miss anything, so make sure you're subscribed to it. Again, you can read me at johnconzano.com and find John Wilner at pac12hotline.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening.